the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So that hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uh, to me, that's always kind of been like the, the theme song of Advent. Like that's the epitome of Advent because we are asking, we are asking God to come in the flesh, to come in our flesh, and to come into our broken and into our corrupt and into our twisted and sinful world, and not just into the world, but to come into our lives as well, to come into our lives and to, and to reverse the darkness and the division and the brokenness and the sadness and the confusion that we find in ourselves and in our world. That's that's really, what, that's really what that hymn is all about. That's, to me, what Advent is all about. And that's also what the book of Ruth is all about. The book that we will be working on and, and looking at in our, in our Advent services uh, this year. Ruth, the story of the book of Ruth, the whole story taken together. It's only four chapters long, so we should be able to get through it in Advent if we're patient and can handle that. Um, the story of the book of Ruth is a story about things getting broken and things getting repaired. It's a thing about catastrophe happening and then salvation coming. It's a story about the dark ages and in the dark ages a light is lit that gives birth to the light of the golden age of the people of Israel. It's a, the book of Ruth is, a, is really a story, it's very Advent because it's very much about waiting for God's true king to come. Because in the beginning of the book of Ruth, which we just read for tonight, it says it begins in the time when the judges ruled. And if you want to read a book of the Bible, if you're really into kind of like hearing the, 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 the kind of the, the gritty and the, and the dark corners of the Bible. If that's what you want to explore, well then the book of Judges is the book for you because there's all kinds of wild stuff that happens in there. And the refrain of the book of Judges goes like this. Over and over again it says, there was no king, so everyone did whatever he wanted. Everyone did whatever was right in his own eyes. And that's where the book of Ruth starts. But at the end of the book of Ruth, we have the announcement of the birth of the king, King David in Bethlehem. It's this book that takes us from the Dark Ages right to the birth of the Golden Age. It's a book about waiting for the true king to come. And the book of Ruth centers on the town of, a little town of Bethlehem, Christ's future city the city of David, the places where all of Christ's promises come from as they come into our world. These promises of Bethlehem that we are getting ready to take hold of, these promises of Bethlehem that come from Christmas and that hang over our lives even in this dark, twisted world, in this thing, this world that's falling apart, this world where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. So what do you do? What do you do? What are you supposed to do when things, when the world, when your life, when it falls apart? Because there's plenty of that. There's all, there's all kinds of dimensions of things falling apart in the book of Ruth. First of all, there's the judges, the book of Judges, you know, the whole story of the judges, which is a story of 
political corruption and religious comp compromise and just the weakness and the darkness and the, and the silliness of human beings on display through the whole book. There's that. And then there's natural disaster. There is a famine where there is not enough food for everybody. And then, of course, there is personal catastrophe that happens right here at the outset. Hmm? Naomi, her husband dies, her two sons die, and she has nothing left. The key. The key, though, is also already here, right in the beginning of the story. And now, this Naomi's husband, who passes out of the book very quickly, his name is Elimelech. And this is, this is one of these things that happens in the book of Ruth, where everybody's name is actually means something. His name means, my God is the king. So think about that. His parents are living in a time, Elimelech's parents are living in a time when everyone does what they want because there is no king. And yet, and yet, his parents say, my God is the king. So they name their kid a confession of faith. That's the first thing. And then, second, we see that when the world starts to fall apart, what do these people do? What do these faithful people do? They reach out and they, they, they make sure that the little corner of the world that they are responsible for, Elimelech and Naomi, are responsible for this, their family. So they make a very difficult decision and a hard choice and they leave their homeland and they leave their homeland in faith that God is king and in love towards, they can't change the world, they can't fix the world, but they can fix this little bit of it. They can preserve this little bit and keep this little bit safe. So that's what the book of Ruth, I mean, that's sort of the, the spoiler. That's what the book of Ruth says is when things go to hell, remember God is king. When there is darkness, remember Christ is the light. And confess that and hang on to that and hang on to your little corner of the world and the people that you have been given care over and take care of them. Now, it seems like maybe that's easy to say when, you know, you actually have a family, right? But then, of course, what happens when your whole family dies? Do we come up with a different answer? Actually, no. Because the little script that we're learning here, grab on to God, grab on to his promises, and grab on to, that, to the people who are near you that you have responsibility for, that is precisely what Ruth does too. But before we get to that, you should notice this. You should notice this. Um, you should notice that when... When uh, Naomi is going to go back to the land that she came from, she's going back home. It says, she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Now notice this. It says the Lord had given them food. It doesn't say that they fixed the economy. So that, and they did, it doesn't say that they got inflation under control and that the supply chain issues were fixed so that people could have food again. It says, the Lord gave them food. We pray, give us today our daily bread. 
And then we think about all of the things that are making that complicated, like the economy and inflation and the supply chain, right? But here it says very immediately, the people prayed and God gave them daily bread. But also look what it says. Naomi says in verse 13, it is exceedingly bitter to me that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So notice she doesn't say bad things happen to me and I'm not sure why. She says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So God on the one hand is immediately responsible for giving you your daily bread. And on the other hand, God, it says God's hand is against me. So like, which is it? Is God for me or against me? And you know, if you look at creation, if you look at history, if you look at current events, if you look at your own experience, if you look at your own emotions and your own thoughts and you look at what hap is happening to you, you really can't tell, can you, if God is for you or against you? Because God is not certain in those things. He See, God does not, God wants to be certain for you in his clear and certain promises in Jesus Christ. God is working in history and in nature and in your life day by day, but you can't, it's not exactly clear what he's up to. But in Jesus, in his promises, there it is clear what he's up to, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's where God gets clear. So, you know, Naomi has every reason in the world to ask, why did this happen to me? And when we ask, why is this happening to me? We can ask that, but better than an answer to that question, God would have us cling to his promises, not answers, but promises. His promises of forgiveness and life and salvation. His promises of restoration and wholeness that come at the close of the age. So, we cling to his promises and we don't look at our own experience to find out what God's will for us is. We know God's will. God's will is you believe in Jesus and you love your neighbor and you inherit eternal life. And that's his will for your life. And he is clear and he is, and no matter what happens, that is always the case. And then, and then, um, and then we get to this part. This is, these are like the million dollar words in this, at least this first part of the book. of. These are the famous words in the book of Ruth, where after Orpah leaves, not many people name their kids Orpah. Like Ruth is a good solid name. You know, it's one of these classical names that's kind of like due for a comeback, you know? I want to baptize a Ruth one of these days, huh? okay? I would baptize an Orpah too, but I just don't see that happening. Uh, anyway. Orpah leaves, Ruth says, Ruth says to her mother-in-law, she says, do not urge me to leave you. Don't tell me to go. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And where, I, where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. What do you do when things fall apart? Ruth gives more powerfully, more viscerally, the same answer 
that we've already heard. First, the truth. First, God's promises. First, the true faith. First, not answers. Ruth doesn't have any answers. She can't, like, explain to Naomi why this is happening. She can't tell her what's going to happen in, in a week or in two years or in five years. They have no five-year plan. They're just, we, just God's promises, and she says, your God will be my God. And not just I'm going to make him my God, but he will accept me as his child, and he has redeemed me too. Jesus says, Jesus says, um, he says, do not be anxious about, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus says, set your sights, set your heart on a star, on a star above the horizon that is consistent and does not change whether things are good or bad. Seek first and set your heart first on the kingdom of God that comes in Jesus and the righteousness that is given to you in the forgiveness of your sins. Set your heart first on that and then after that, and notice Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about anything, but he says, then worry about the troubles that are here in front of you today. First, set your heart on the guiding star of your life. And then whatever it is that shows up in front of you today, do that. And that's exactly what Ruth does. She says, your God will be my God and I will take care of you. And that's it. That's all she knows. That's all she knows how to do. And that turns out to be just enough. And she does that without any guarantee that it's going to work. But she just does it because that's faith in God and fervent love toward one another. And when they get back, another one of these little name things, when they get back to, the, to their hometown, all the ladies are like, ooh, Naomi's back. And she says, don't call me Naomi because Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara because Mara means bitter. It's also, by the way, the root of the name Mary. So there's a little Christmas tidbit for you, that the joy of the world came into the world from some, through someone whose name was bitter. So just, Mara means bitter. And there's this little, and, and no one responds to her, because it's very, like, what do, you say to, what do you say to that? What do you say about that? What do you say to some, I mean, how do you speak to somebody else and their bitterness and their pain? And this is something that I've had, I mean, I always want to fix things, you know, and like just say something and it's always just not right, okay? And it's hard to learn that you can't speak, speak bitterness better, okay? But here's, here's, here's a place to start, okay? What is it, and just to think about this yourself, or to think about this as you're thinking about talking to people who are sort of like Naomi and pretty broken. What is it that is breaking you? And first, did this thing that is breaking you, 
Did this thing or can this thing take Jesus off his cross? Did this thing or can this thing that is breaking you keep him in his tomb? Did this thing or can this thing take away or nullify his sacrifice for you and does it make the forgiveness of your sins not true? Does this thing undo your baptism? Does this thing change God so loved the world that he gave his only son? Does this thing take away from you the body and blood of Christ? Are you, like Naomi, not left with someone? Then, then, the broken reed gets to stay broken. You don't have to fix the world. You don't have to, we don't have to take everybody's life and turn it into this Instagram-worthy expression of prosperity. Christianity is not a fixer-upper religion. It does not require that all the damage be healed in this life. Christianity knows that in the end, many things that seem to be fixed will turn out to be broken, and many things that are now broken will be fixed. Blessed are those who mourn now, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for things to be set right, they will be satisfied. Blessed are the broken and the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of God. So one last thing. I know this is going on longer than usual. <laughs> one last thing. They get home. They get home and there's this last hint at the end of the chapter that things are about to get better. Because it's one more thing that has to do with a name. See, the city that they left originally is Bethlehem, and Bethlehem means the house of bread. It's the house and the place where the true bread of life, Jesus Christ, comes into the world. And of course, it is ironic that they have to leave the house of bread because there is a famine, so there is no bread in the house of bread. And yet, it says, Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with, with her. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Things have turned around. There is a harvest in the house of bread. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to 